Dr. Jess Cap, and this is Storybook Earth. Welcome to Storybook Earth, a podcast that fuses science and storytelling, two of my favorite things, to bring you vibrant tales of notable Earth features, phenomena, and places, and the geological processes that make them what they are. From the tiniest minerals in the oldest rocks on Earth, to the giant asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, from the strange and mysterious trenches of the ocean, to the romanticized top of Mount Everest, the stories in the chapters of Earth's long and beautiful history are all around us, just waiting to be told. A warning. Today's tale is deeply personal and involves the story of my dad's death. Listener discretion advised. I started this podcast with a story about my childhood home in upstate New York, its glacial landscape, and mentions of time spent with my father, enjoying the outdoors and each other's company. My dad and I were really close. As an only child, I got a lot of his attention. He taught me how to hit a baseball and how to bait my own fishing hook, both when I was about five years old. He played his guitar a lot, taught me lyrics to all sorts of songs, and encouraged me to sing along as he played. We watched old black and white vampire movies together on Sunday afternoons. When I was a young teen, he owned a comedy club that doubled as a blues bar. Wednesday nights were my visitation nights with him, and he would let me come with him and watch him jam with the blues bands that played there, staying up way past the time any teenager should on a school night. But we genuinely had fun together, had very similar personalities, and I wanted to be a performer like him. Maybe a comedian or an actor, something where I could be on stage, a place where he seemed to be so happy and joyful. During the day when the club was quiet, he would let me play on the stage, microphone turned off, practicing jokes or songs or whatever else I was into at the moment. In those days, science was not something I ever really thought much about. I never in a million years would have believed that I would end up a geologist. The decision to pursue geology was in large part, I believe, due to the fact that my dad died when I was 19. Now, how does it relate, you might be asking? I had just finished my freshman year of college where I was majoring in English and journalism, hoping to be a writer, a somewhat creative pursuit that I figured was a safer bet than acting or comedy. I came home to Rochester that summer really excited about living with my dad. It would be the first time that we would share a roof for more than a night or two since I was seven years old and my parents had divorced. I had images of lazy days spent fishing, singing, and helping him out at his golf store, which was his latest business pursuit. But I came home to a dying father, a man who was once so joyful and full of life struggling to walk across his living room. My dad had been a kidney transplant recipient more than 20 years prior, before I was born. And at the time, it was just starting to be used, that technique of transplanting kidneys. The doctor had told him, with a new kidney, he might live three years. But he had defied the odds and lived a pretty healthy and normal life for 21 years, 
all the while taking immunosuppressant drugs to keep his body from rejecting the kidney. All those years on strong medications wore his immune system down, and he had developed an inoperable cancerous tumor deep inside his neck near his windpipe. In addition, his transplanted kidney was losing function, and he was in what's called congestive heart failure. The day after I arrived at his door, he was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance, and he never returned home again. My summer ended up looking really different than I had planned. Instead of fishing together, we spent our afternoons in a hospital room. The tumor robbed him of his voice pretty quickly, and soon he communicated with me only through hoarse whispers. He died six weeks later, just days before I was due back for my sophomore year of college. He made the choice to stop getting dialysis treatments for his kidney that was not functioning anymore. I guess he figured that would be a better death than suffocating when the tumor cut off his windpipe. Now, this is all really sad, I know, and I don't tell this story to depress anyone, but to exemplify that my identity was really tied up in my relationship with my father. And losing him the way I did had a profound impact on me. After he died, I was feeling a bit lost, unsure of my future, and restless. Family suggested I might take a break from school. He had left me a share in his business. I could take that over, stay in my hometown and work carry on his legacy, but I knew he would want me to go back to school. As a matter of fact, before he died, he sat me down and said to me, get an education. All he ever wanted for me was to get an education, something he never did. So I returned to school. But I was questioning everything I had planned, and it was this unease that I believe pushed me toward trying something way out of my comfort zone. Something that had been introduced to me in a class I had taken just months before. The idea that I could be a geologist was so not me, and it was just what I needed to distract me from my despair. Trying to catch up on all the math and science I had been avoiding since high school, in addition to declaring a new major and beginning that course of study, it gave me very little time to wallow in self-pity. It was an intriguing challenge, fueled by genuine curiosity that had been sparked in a freshman geology class that I never wanted to take in the first place. Mine is a story that highlights the benefits of a liberal arts education, but I digress. Finding geology was in some ways accidental, serendipitous, and a little crazy. It was a life-changing decision that put me on a path I am grateful for every day. Now fast forward five years and I find myself in a PhD program where my advisor offers me the chance of a lifetime to spend more than three months doing fieldwork in the remote interior of the Tibetan Plateau. Real fieldwork, not with like hotel stays and hot showers. And I was not an outdoorsy person. Aside from the fishing I had done with my dad, I wasn't well versed in outdoor adventure. I didn't camp or hike very much. I was not an avid world traveler at that point. Everything about this offer seemed beyond my abilities, beyond what was reasonable. But it was Tibet. 
Tibet. In the world of geology, Tibet is a mecca. The highest plateau on planet Earth, standing at an average elevation of over 4,000 meters, or 13,000 feet, Tibet is synonymous with adventure. It is also a result of the convergence of India with Eurasia, the continent-continent collision that created the Himalayas and the uber-famous Mount Everest. To be a geologist and refuse a trip to Tibet seemed like blasphemy. I thought a lot about my dad when that opportunity came up. What would he think about all of this? His daughter becoming a scientist, pursuing a PhD, flying off to Tibet to spend 100 days in a tent in the middle of nowhere, immersed in a culture she knew nothing about? My gut said he would heartily urge me to go, to say yes to something scary and amazing. He would tell me he trusted me, believed in me, and was proud of me. So, I said yes. I could do an entire podcast just with crazy stories of mishaps and adventures I had in Tibet, but I want to dive into some geology. The area that was the focus of my research was in the southern geological province of Tibet known as the Lhasa Terrain. I was focusing on a mountain range much like the Santa Catalina Mountains that are just outside my window here in Tucson. Bounded by a large, low-angle detachment fault on its southeastern edge, the peaks were composed of granite-type rocks that were once molten somewhere beneath the earth, fueling volcanism. I spent time hiking deep into those mountains, collecting samples of the igneous rocks found there, and trying to map out the geological relationships. There were very few geochronological studies of the rocks deep within that mountain range, none that were detailed or comprehensive at least, and we made some interesting discoveries, including intrusions that were as young as 8 million years old. Now that was completely unexpected, considering that the subduction that had fueled the magmatism there had been shut off for tens of millions of years. It was those young igneous rocks that led to my foray into depth profiling, a technique by which we would focus the analysis beam in an ion microprobe on a single spot on a single grain of zircon and simply let it dig down into the crystal as we extracted age information as it went to see if the age varied with depth. It often did, which tells us a bit about how crystals might grow over time in an active magma chamber and how we have to be careful when interpreting bulk ages from a sample of rock. It also led to lots of musings about what was keeping the lower crust hot and at least partially melted millions of years after active subduction was over. Tiny mineral grains can contain intricate date information that needs to be paid attention to. That work fueled my love of geochronology and taught me that there is always something new to be discovered among the rocks. I learned so much on that trip about geology, both Tibetan geology and geology in general, about mapping, about fieldwork, about my own abilities, and about taking chances. It would have been so easy for me to dismiss that trip because I didn't have the experience I thought was necessary. But I soon learned that all I needed was pluck, grit, the desire to do it, and the will to follow through. And I had those things, as well as the support of some amazing fellow graduate students who were on the trip with me. Both of them had way more outdoor experience one of them had been to Tibet twice before, and both of them were men. Being the only woman on the trip was its own challenge, but that's a story for another day. 
Luckily, both of these guys were wonderful and they treated me as an equal. Having good friends and colleagues to navigate that experience with made all the difference. So I guess the lesson is surround yourself with people you trust. It makes life a lot better. Now, back to the geology. Tibet sits just north of the Himalayas, perhaps the most famous mountain range in all the world. The Himalayas include many of the highest peaks on Earth, including Mount Everest, the mountain whose peak currently sits at 8,848 meters, or about 29,000 feet above sea level. The geology of Everest includes metamorphic rocks, which makes sense, considering two large continents collided there. And these rocks are intruded by what are called leucogranites. Again, no surprise, as these light-colored intrusions are often associated with crustal thickening and active deformation of continent collision zones. But what may be surprising to hear is that there is a large detachment fault near the top of Mount Everest, the Chumalongma detachment, upon which sits a layer of rock called the yellow band, which is a band of limestone. Now, if you know anything about limestone, you know that it forms in the ocean. So there are rocks from the ocean floor found near the top of the highest peak on the planet? You bet. There used to be an ocean between India and Eurasia before they collided around 55 million years ago, so it actually isn't that weird to find rocks of the ocean floor as part of this geological puzzle. The story of the Indo-Asian collision, as it is called, is very commonly told as India collided with Asia around 55 million years ago, although that age is somewhat debated. And as a result, the Himalayas were formed and the Tibetan Plateau grew. Now, this is somewhat true, but there's, of course, more to the story. Much of my time during that first trip to Tibet was spent in the central part of Tibet, a geological province called the Chongtong terrain, where my fellow graduate student, Paul Cap was conducting his research. You might recognize that name. This was the part of the trip that was particularly wild. We drove for days and days on barely visible dirt roads smack dab into the center of Tibet, a place closed off to tourists that required special work permits. It was so far from home, literally and metaphorically, and it was there that I fully experienced a transformation into someone I didn't really know existed. The Chongtong was a magical place. Animals like wild donkeys and gazelles were running free, lots of wide open space, very few people, certainly no Westerners. We only ran into the occasional nomad family as we made our way across hundreds of miles and hundreds of millions of years of geologic history. I was an oddity to these people. A white woman with long yellow hair carrying a backpack and a hammer, the only woman in a group of men. I suspect most of them had never seen a white woman before, and it made for interesting attempts at bathroom breaks in a place with no actual bathrooms. I got followed a lot. Now, Paul made some interesting discoveries in the Chongtong as well. It was somewhat known that there were what we call sutures running across Tibet, zones where there was evidence in the rocks of two pieces of continental crust being stuck together or sutured. Like many continental collision zones, they contained fragments of what used to be oceanic rocks, bits and pieces of the ocean floor, 
that got caught up in the mayhem of small strips of microcontinent slamming into the southern edge of Eurasia before India did. It was really fun to come across these suture zones in the middle of the largest plateau on the planet. First of all, because the rocks were beautiful, like the rare but stunning blue schists, blue from the blue-colored sodium-rich amphibole called glaucophane, and unusual because of their high-pressure, low-temperature mineral assemblages that are characteristic of subduction zones. And two, because it was amazing to be standing on a place where there used to be an ocean, and now there is not because two pieces of continent came together. Paul's meticulous work across the Chongtong led to our more thorough and detailed understanding of the many small collisions that had to happen over at least 100 million years to slowly build what we know today as the Tibetan Plateau. We spent over 100 days on that trip, making our way deep into Tibet's interior and making geologic discoveries along the way. I went for months without a shower, slept almost every single night in a tent, experienced snowstorms and rainstorms and beautiful sunny weather and intense UV radiation that meant extreme danger for sunburns. I ate yak meat and goat meat and blood sausage, and I drank yak butter tea from nomads who invited me into their tents. When I came out of the field, our drivers wanted to celebrate by drinking homemade chong, a barley wine sipped from a porcelain teacup over a blob of yak butter applied to its rim. I was sunburned and dirty and skinnier than I had ever been in my life, and so very grateful for the experience of a lifetime, one that is such an important part of who I am. I gladly drank chong with them and thanked them for delivering me safely out into the middle of Tibet and back again. Tibet lives in my soul, and I would never have had that experience if not for becoming a geologist. Creating this season of Storybook Earth has been such a pleasure for me, and I hope the stories have brought you something too. Curiosity, intrigue, entertainment, or perhaps just some new insights into geologic processes or amazing places. Maybe it's even brought a little inspiration. There is almost nothing I enjoy more than telling the stories of the Earth and sharing how they mean so much to me. Geology is so deeply woven into the fabric of my being, and I cannot wait to share more stories next season. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please consider subscribing, liking, writing a review, and sharing this with a friend or two. Thanks to our listeners and supporters. Special thanks to Michaela Moore for music, sound editing, and design and to Pierce Ware for the artwork. The Geology Podcast Network is sponsored by Traveling Geologist.